I want to read this. You know, I notice that there has been, you know, we're talking about just the demeanor of people and the things that are happening in the world in this time. And, you know, it could have an effect. It was just like what Pastor Ta- uh, Tyler was saying about bringing us down. But in reality, we got to be like more like Jolito. We got to be up here because we're focused on the right things. Amen. But let me read this psalm. And it's familiar. I think I've read it before in churches. Psalm 73. And the heading on this is... Um, the tragedy of the wicked and the blessings in the trust in God. A song of Asap. I'm just going to read this through real quick, and I think you'll get the point when we get there. Truly God is good to Israel, to such are as a pure heart. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there was no pangs in their death. And their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor they are plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than the heart could, could wish. They scoff and they speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily and set their mouth against the heavens. And their tongue uh, walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here, and the waters are a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands uh, in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said... Uh, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. And I thought how to understand this. And it was painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. And there I understand their end. Surely you've set them in slippery places. You've cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they were brought to desolation in a moment. They're utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream, when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and thus I was vexed in my mind, and I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by your right hand, and you guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, receive me to glory. Whom whom have I in heaven but you? And, And there is none on the earth... That I desired besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God, for I will put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare your works. Hallelujah. You know, that's really an eternal perspective on really how things are. This is the reality of it. There's things that have a perception, and we're thinking it's this way, but in reality, this lines up to the reality that's eternal, and this is the place that God has placed us as believers in the body of Christ. We have a glorious future, a glorious inheritance, and the devil cannot take that away from us. And so we thank you, Lord, this morning that we're uh, encouraged in your presence amongst the believers and we uh, align our perspective to that reality because that's true. That's going to work out itself in in time. We thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the presence of your Holy Spirit in this place. I pray, Lord, for you to anoint your word this morning. 
the power of your word, the strength of your word, the, the light of your word, that you would open up our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I pray, Lord, that I could step out of the way and that you would use me as your vessel, that you would receive glory, Lord. We just pray uh, your blessing upon this time uh, and this, this word from you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. 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 Um, I was thinking about this word, uh, or words, I should say. And, you know, recently I I didn't uh, preach the past two weeks. Pastor Tasha had a great message that was shared to the congregation. But I was talking about keys, you know, keys that would unlock the power or unlock doors or uh, take things out of the way that would be in a resistance to what God's wanting to do. And I would say one of the major keys that we need to be familiar with and be yielded to is the key of obedience. I think that everything hinges on that. You know, it's faith and obedience, faith and obedience. believe God and obey what he's telling us to do. I think Jalita's um, testimony illustrates that. You know, that if we're not walking in that, then what is it that the Lord is telling us to do? What is that thing that God is telling us to do? And to be submissive to that and say, okay, Lord, I've been doing it this way. What's the hang up? What's the thing that's holding me back? And then go into prayer with the Lord. And I think sometimes we resist that. You know, I was talking to John, we were talking about this. And sometimes we resist going into the presence of the Lord because I think that he might tell us something that we're not too happy to hear. And when it's one-on-one, it's not like, oh, just Pastor Jay's opinion on that. But when it's one-on-one and it's God's Spirit in our heart, do we really want to venture into that, that arena? But yet when we do, there's tremendous blessing if we take what is heard in that quiet time with the Lord and put it into action. Could you agree with that? Amen. I mean, that's, that's the, that is a key right there. It's to hear from the Lord and then to do what He's telling us to do. To just be obedient to what He's saying. You know, uh, this story starts out uh, in the Garden of Eden, where man was in a perfect environment. You know, and a lot of times, you know, you, you read that story and you think to yourself, well, how come, how come this, this whole sin mess falls upon me and, and our generations and the line coming down from Adam? If I was there living in the perfect garden with everything provided for me, I think I would have obeyed God. And it only takes to the second chapter to see what happened. It didn't go too long into that book where the devil, you know, everything was perfect. God said, this is good. Everything I did was good. But he goes, but I have to have one thing in here so that there's a choice to obey. So he says, all the trees, every tree is edible. Whatever is edible out there, go ahead and eat it. But there's one tree in the midst of the garden The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat from that tree, because in the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. And so, okay, simple rule. So they're wandering around in this beautiful paradise garden with all the fruit. They don't got to work. They're just doing their thing. Then all of a sudden, the serpent is slithering around in the tree, and he says, oh, has God said that you can't eat from this tree? You know, first thing he focuses on, focuses on the thing that God said not to do. Isn't that just like the enemy? All these options. We have all these things that we can do. But he says, this is the thing that I'm going to focus on here. And he twisted it. And, and there, somewhere along the line, this came in. Oh, yeah, he said that we can't eat it. And if we touch it in the day that we touch it, we're going to die. 
And so they added a little bit to the, to the narrative there. And so she grabs the thing off the tree and it's like, nothing happened. I'm still alive. Maybe he wasn't telling me the whole truth. And so she went ahead and ate it, offered it to her husband, who could have stopped the thing right there, but he didn't. He went long, right along with it, ate the fruit, and all of a sudden, their eyes are opened up. And they're like, uh-oh, we're naked now. And so this knowledge of something that they didn't have was, trans, you know, it was transferred into them through being disobedient. And the reality was that that day, they died. They died in a spiritual dimension. They were no longer in the same place they were with God because it says now they were naked and they're aware of their nakedness. It's like, I am, I'm, I don't know what they were clothed with light or something before, but now they're naked. And so what they do, they, they sense this. And so they go into the fig tree, which I don't know, a fig tree seems kind of, those leaves might be kind of scratchy, but they go in and they weave together something like a, you know, and a covering and put this on them. And so it says that God, they would commune with God in the cool of the evening and come down and walk with them. And they, all of a sudden they're scurried into the bushes with their, you know, their, their tunics or whatever they made of fig leaves. And he says, God says, where are you? And it was like, uh, it was like the cry of a heartbroken father. Where are you guys? And he says, well, we're hiding. We're naked. It says, who told you we're naked? Well, this, and they gave him the story. And the very day that they ate that fruit, they died. But the effects of that took years to go on. Because they were, a, a, Adam was a direct creation of God. In fact, Adam, in the genealogy in the Bible, when it traces all the way back to the beginning, it says, and Adam wasn't a son of thus and thus, begot, begot, begot. It says, Adam was a son of God, a direct creation of God. And so that's where we came from. But now as time goes on, lineage goes on, we're a son of Adam. Or when before we're born again, we're a son of Adam. So we're a son of Adam in a fallen condition. And we don't have the same communion that we once had in that natural condition. But God says, I want this to be restored. I want this relationship that, to be restored once again. I want you to, to be resting in the place that I had those people in the garden. That's my original intention. The only condition that we need to do in order for that to become a reality is obey. And the reason why I wrote this out, or I didn't, it was upside down, sorry. That was disobedience. But uh, obey and be in the middle because we're human beings. We were created for, to be a certain thing. We're not human doings, we're human beings. And when we're at peace with the Lord, we're uh, a human that is in the original intention of what God created us to be. We're a human being. And in the book of Hebrews, it talks about this natural state of rest that God is saying, I want you to labor to enter into this rest. I want you to be that person that I originally intended, but these sins in the world and the things that distract and the things that pull us in different directions has, uh, has a tendency to cloud our vision of who we truly are in Christ. That we're born again according to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He, you know, in the part of that story was when God saw their naked condition. And you think about this. Death did not exist at this point. 
And so he takes a couple, I'm assuming it's lambs, because that's been the metaphor throughout the Bible. So we take these two innocent lambs, and these two created in, you know, in perfect creation, no sin, no disharmony, and God kills these things, skins them, takes their, their, their covering, and makes a tunic for them to cover their nakedness. Illustrative of the covering of Christ. In our nakedness, the Lamb of God had to be slain to cover us. Can you imagine the horror on Adam and Eve's faces that because we did this, these animals just shed their blood so that we could have this covering now. And that metaphor continues on through the Bible. It continued all the way to Christ. Everything, it says, Jesus says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but there they would speak of me. So everything is illustrative of Christ. Everything is pointing to him, pointing to him, pointing. From the very beginning, it was pointing to him. That God's, God says, I have a solution. In fact, I knew this before the foundation of the world. I knew this was going to happen and I was already prepared for this. And so he makes provision for Adam and Eve. And he says, okay, uh, this is the way it's going to be now. And then he gives that prophecy about a redeemer that's coming. It says, the seed of the woman, which women don't produce seed, which is speaking of the, um, the incarnation of God in the flesh, is going to crush the head of the serpent. And that victory is going to be conferred upon us at a future date. But there was a looking forward and a looking forward to this. And you hear in the Bible about, uh, in Hebrews, it says the gospel was preached to them. And I'm thinking, when was the gospel preached in the Old Testament time? Through types and shadows and illustrations. The story goes on. It was, it was put out there and put out there. And it should be obvious. But because of the blindness of our eyes, it's obscured. And we think, but when the eyes are opened up, you're like, this is amazing. This stuff was encoded in here thousands of years before. It was there from the very beginning as we're faces unveiled from this and we see it and we're like, how could anybody miss this? But if we're in sin or when we're in darkness, it kind of just passes us and we're like, ah, oh, whatever. You know, that's your belief. I have my beliefs. Do you know? Excuse me. Today is the 13th, right? Did you guys hear that there's some kind of abomination going on on Mount Sinai today? That these religious, and I emphasize the word religious, people are getting together and they're concocting some kind of global new Ten Commandments. It's an affront to God what they're doing. Well, let's go to Mount Sinai and we'll make our own commandments. And we'll, it's basically the green global commandments. And so basically we're making Gaia or the earth our God. We're worshiping the creation instead of the creator. And we're, we're, we're speaking out against uh, global warming and burning fossil fuels. And they want you to eat bugs and who knows what. It's just crazy. These people are nuts. And just like that psalm that we read, that's their future. Thank God that the Lord opened up our eyes that our God is not the earth and the fact that we burn uh, fossil fuels and eat meat is not, oh my God, that's their sanctity or that's their sacraments to do that sort of thing. It's, it's nonsense. And it's causing a lot of hardship in the world. And the world is going on a, on a route that is, in, it's, it's his destiny is not a good place. But the Pope is there, leaders of all these religions are there, and they're going to su suppose, I don't know what they're going to do, but today is the appointed day where they're uh, basically giving out the new Ten Commandments on the Mount Sinai in Egypt. But I think the real Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia, where we went to the Bible study, we saw, saw some. Anyway, this is totally disobedience. This is what happens to uh, mankind 
when disobedience reigns. You know, this kind of nonsense is going on. I want to go to Romans 6 and go into our identity of Christ and what he has done and what obedience has wrought for us, his obedience. And we have to reckon ourselves to be in this obedience with Christ. It's a completed work. We're a human being. We're being, we're a being united with Christ. We're not uh, striving for this, but it's been conferred on us because of the finished work in Christ. And sometimes you hear the gospel and you go, well, that's too simple. That's too cheap. And it's not cheap at all because it costs Jesus a lot to confer this upon us. Amen. In Romans 6, it's talking about this question that came up where the Jews, the Judaizers were talking about, well, or even anybody questioning this faith, salvation by grace, it says, well, I'm saved by grace, and where sin abounds, grace much more abounds, let me sin plenty so that I get plenty grace. And he goes, no, you're not understanding what I'm saying here, that's not what I'm saying. This grace was conferred because of the precious blood of Jesus, destroyed the works of the devil, but we need to reckon ourselves, recognize ourselves to be in Christ, to be in Him. So in Romans 6, chapter 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into His death? That's the illustration of baptism. That's why Jesus says, you know, when you get saved, get baptized because it's a step of obedience. That's the thing that I tell when we baptize somebody. This is your first step in obedience to walk in with the Lord. Do this in obedience to what the Lord says. So we get baptized. And he says, um, verse 4, Therefore we were buried with him in baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... Even so, we should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So when you hold somebody down in a baptism, I said, this is symbolic of you. Some people do it just, I'm just going to sprinkle some water on you. I don't think it's a good illustration of what baptism is supposed to represent. When you put somebody into a baptism, you hold them down underwater, and it's, it's the death the burial and the resurrection. The new person coming out is a new creation in Christ. What comes up out of that water is a new creation in Christ. It says, For I have now been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we are no longer slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Amen. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more to death. Death no longer has dominion over him. But the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, in the same way, you should recognize yourself, consider yourself um, dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey, obey its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present... Uh, yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you for you're not under the law but under grace now I say that and I said we heard that I know that I know that do we know this 
This is a key. It says that we're not to obey the lusts of the flesh. We're not to obey the old things in our life. And the catalyst for this is the fact that we got to know that we start off crucified with Christ, resurrected with him, seated in the heavenly places. That's where we start off right there. That's where the power emanates from. If it's like we have in our mind, well, I got to do better. And then at some point, then God will accept me. You're already starting from a losing position because the devil will jump all over that. You have to know, or do we have to know our identity? We have to know that Christ was obedient. And I was obedient to hear the message and give my heart to the Lord and confess with my mouth and take a step of obedience and take a step to start reading his word and take a step to listen to his voice and take a step to put it into action. Those things that he told me to do these things, it says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. He's not, okay, well, let's see you do something good. And it's just like, all he's waiting for is just a small step of obedience. And he moves closer. It says, draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you, is what God is doing. Amen? Amen. How many want to go closer to God? Are you, I, I feel like I kind of plateaued at some point. It's like, I want to, no, there's more. I want to go higher with the Lord. I want to go higher than where I'm at right now. Are you frustrated? I was talking to John about it. We were talking about it on a, you know, called him up the other day. And, and, and I, it's just this, you know there's more. You know there's more with God. We know that there's a different dimension, that there's power, that there's authority, that there's joy, there's liberation. And Julita brought that testimony up here. You see it on her face. You can see the breakthrough there. Amen. It says, it goes on in, in Romans six fifteen. it says, what shall we say? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that whom you present yourself slaves to obey you who, who, uh, who you are one slaves whom you obey? That's a powerful, powerful thing. Or this, this thing, it hit me one day. I was reading this. So I was like, whoa, sin is a power. But grace is a greater power. If we agree with what God says and we obey what he says, it has the ability to break the chains of sin. And I said, I've tried a million times to get out of this. I can't get out of it. But when we merge the word of God with obedience and accept it by faith and says, that is powerful. And we say, I'm going to believe that for me. And it's not like I'm going to believe it when I feel it. I'm going to believe it and then the feelings come because we just lay claim to it in faith. Amen. It's powerful. Uh, whom you present yourself to slaves obey. You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. You know, we're at the chapter in um, Hebrews that it's talking about elementary principles it says man by this time you should be teachers already and yet you need somebody to teach you the elementary principles of salvation how do we get to from here to there and the reality of it is we have to spend time in god's word but not only in his word but listening for the voice of the holy spirit in that time in the word and then saying i'm going to do that i'm going to do what the word said and i believe we will see results in that amen I shared this testimony many times in church. And, uh, you know, it was when I was coming back to the Lord and went to a Promise Keepers meeting in Honolulu. I know some of the men in this church were there. And there was 10,000 men in attendance. And I was feeling pretty good about myself because 
I just got my hand crushed in the accident and I'm doing God a favor by being here. I was like, yeah, right. And I see 10,000 men in there lifting their hands to the Lord and praising him. And I was like, wow, he could replace you in a second, man. <laughs> Who do you think you are, man? <laughs> and I started hearing the, 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 the presence of God was strong. And I, my son was going to school at that time. He was in Honolulu. He came to the faith. And one of the things they did was says, well, I want you to uh, wash your son's feet. And we don't get basins over here or anything like that. He says, no, it was just symbolically. I want you to go down and, and do this symbolically. And I did it. And I thought, this is kind of weird. And there was something that hit. And I started just crying and crying and crying, washing Wesley's feet and, and doing this thing in obedience but the point of it, the presence of God was there. There was keys that were being given out. There was things that were being spoken of from that pulpit up there. There was a pastor from Korea, South Korea, or, yeah, South Korea, and uh, he was talking about the fact that um, his son was kind of rebellious. He wasn't following in the ways of his dad, and he was more into sports. He had all the posters on the wall, and just not. In, I'm not interested in the God thing. Just let it go. And I told this story. Some of you guys will be bored with this, but the dad said, "I'll give you 25 cents if you 25 cents a chapter. 25 cents a chapter if you read the Bible." So he says, "All right, I'm going to make some money off of this." So he's, mm, he's burning through the word. And it's like, hey, Dad, I read 10 chapters, all right, 250, here you go. And then whatever, whatever it was, he just kept doing this and doing this. And he was paying his son to read the Bible. And he says, over time, the posters came off the wall, the rebellious attitude stopped. His son just showed more respect. Everything went into alignment. And eventually his son went into the ministry. And I was like, he went in it to make money. But he exposed himself to this word. It was powerful enough to change his behavior, to change his heart. And I thought to myself, I'm going to do that. I'm going to put that into practice. I'm going to read the word on a daily basis. And let me tell you, it works. It changes us. And if we're not being changed, maybe we're not doing enough time in the word. And not only just doing it by rote, but hearing the voice of God and being obedient to those things that he's telling us through that time and that place with the Lord. Amen? Amen. That's where change is going to take place. That's where we all need to get to. We start off already. We have to start off because the devil will bring condemnation. He'll say, well, you didn't do this and didn't do this. You don't need, you couldn't even go into his presence right now. But faith says, the Lord said that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that I can come behind that veil because of the blood. I have a right as a son, as an heir to come into your presence and to boldly make my request to be honest and naked with him and says, Lord, this is what this is what I'm struggling with. These are the issues I got right now. And he says, I love you. And I was waiting you for you to acknowledge that because I already know this. It's not like we tell God something. Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, I didn't know that. He knows everything. But it's just we have a hard time speaking it sometimes. We have a hard time acknowledging that's where we're at. That this is my hang up. This is my issue. This is the thing. Amen. Amen. Or am I just speaking for myself? <laughs> I like this. I wrote, had Pastor Tasha write this. I told Gretchen to do it on the computer, but we forgot. Disobeyed. What is our eyes on? You know, it's interesting, this disobey. What did I wrote? Obey. Number one, B is in the middle of that. Obedience. The, in the middle of obedience is die. 
What does Christ tell us? Number one, pick up your cross and walk. Die to self. Die to your interests. Die to your ego. Die to your whatever your pride. Die. Pick up your cross and walk. Keep your eyes on me. I did it for you. I did it. You're following in my example. Amen. So in the middle of obedience is the word die. So the first thing we need to do when we're obedient, we need to say, okay, Lord, uh, I'll put that stuff on the side and let me just follow you here. Obeyed in the middle of that word is this word eyed. You see our eyes? What is our eyes on? What are our eyes on? You ever heard that? That whatever your eyes on, that's where the body goes. You ever seen driving? This is wherever you look, that's where you're going to go. When you take a turn, you're looking there. I'm not there yet, but that's where I'm going. If we're driving, all of a sudden we're distracted. We look over here. You could be into an accident. Amen. Where are our eyes? That we're looking at the Lord. You know, you think, what does that do? What is that? How does that change me? I don't know, but I know it works. That if we keep our eyes on the Lord... Amen. I want to end up in this one. Man, this is powerful, powerful scripture. Second Corinthians three. You know, Lane and Laura had some friends or Jewish, and one of them is, is seeking. I wish they would have been here today. <laughs> Here's a. <laughs> Hallelujah. Second, sorry, I keep going to First Corinthians. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians. Um, here we are. Chapter three, verse seven. It says in Second Corinthians chapter three, verse seven, it's but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious. You know what he's talking about there? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. They're going up on a Mount Sinai to give God, here's our new Ten Commandments. What a blasphemous act that is, man. Engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. I, I equate this to, you know, like one of those glow toys or glow things that you go into a room and you put it, you put it up to a light bulb. It's something that's got glow paint or in there and you put it up to the light bulb and then you take it into a dark room and everybody's like, ooh, it's glowing. Ooh, it's glowing. That was Moses. He went up into the presence of God. It's like, whoa, this is a fearful place, man. Take off your shoes. And he's in the presence of God and he comes down off of the mountain and they're like, wow. And his face was shining radiance of the presence of God. And the people said, put a cloth on your face, man. That's scary. So he puts his cloth. But it wasn't only for that because it was so unusual. It was because the glory was diminishing because he was not in the presence of God. The presence of God was the source. Moses was in the presence of God. It says that the Ten Commandments, the thing that he presented, this is glorious. Look how glorious this is, these Ten Commandments. But he goes on to say, verse 9, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the Ten Commandments, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, right? If the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in the glory. 
the ministry of righteousness, Christ is the end of the law to those who believe. He fulfilled the law. He's conferred his righteousness on, on, on us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will, will be added unto you. You'll be a person. You'll be a being obeying God. Being in Christ, right? The ministry of condemnation and glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in the glory. For whatever was made glorious had no glory in respects because the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains was much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted at the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You know, that was the inception of this country. Liberty. Liberty has great responsibility. Our founder said, the form of government that we formerly used to prosper in, it says it's unfit for an immoral people. And if immoral people take the reins of a government which was conferred upon us, we get more and more and more laws and more tyranny because you have to rein it in and people are no longer self-governing. The more people are self-governing, the more liberty there can be in a society. And that's where we find ourselves. That's why we need to pray for outpouring of God's grace upon this nation. It's the only hope that we have. And whether he's going to save this nation or just save individuals in this nation, we want to see people get saved. Amen? Amen. But we, it's in closing, it says, But we, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord. There is a scripture that confirms by exposing yourself to this glory, we're being transformed. We're being transformed. It's almost like putting a, a plant out in the light. You keep that plant in the house all the time. All of a sudden, these leaves are all like this. You put it out in the sunlight, boom, all of a sudden, and then it's budding and sprouting and the flowers are developing on that. This is a scripture that confirms the power of the word of God right here. Beholding the glory of the Lord through his word, looking to Jesus. What are our eyes looking at? And especially in troubled times when our foundations are being rocked, the unshakable foundation of Christ with our eyes beholding the Lord can carry us through anything with joy, with confidence, with optimism. Because the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is here in our heart. But the king is coming. And that's what we're part of. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.